0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest and my wonderful friend is on with us again today. The New York Times bestselling author Rita Mae Brown, and Rita Mae is going to be talking to us about her latest book, Nine Lives to Die. So I'm excited to hear about that, find out what's going on with Sneaky Pie, and what kind of mischief she's getting into, and solving all those wonderful crimes as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun, so everybody hang tight. We're going to break for a commercial break here. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And joining me now is New York Times bestselling author Rita Mae Brown. Rita Mae, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you on board. And Sneaky Pie, I'm sure she's around there somewhere.
1: Actually, she is at my seat at this moment, playing with my shoelaces.
0: Ah, there you go. Making sure you get it all right and you're not talking any uh, bad things about her or anything of that sort, right?
1: You know what? Her view of life is humans are imperfect cats. She's got to keep her eye on me all the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if we could ever learn to live a life like theirs, I would say it would be a great life, but then they'd probably correct us and say you can never live a life like mine because it's so glamorous.
1: You're you're right. (laughs) You're you're a lower life form. Get used to it.
0: (laughs) That's right, and I'll let you know that every single day. Oh, goodness. So the latest book, Nine Lives to Die. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: You know, I had enormous fun writing it, and maybe I shouldn't say this on the air, but some books you love while you're working on them more than others. Some are just a terrible chore, and and you you just wonder why in God's name did you ever think you could do it. But this one, I just had a a great time with it, partly because I often like to pull together two storylines. And one involves a disappearance of, what, 25 or 30 years prior, and the other one involves an organization in, in this time, in 2014, uh, to help wayward boys or boys that are at risk. And these two stories ultimately come together, and I just had a, just a great time.
0: Now, how do you decide how you're going to merge those two? Are these like hot topics on your on your mind, or you have an idea what uh, Sneaky Pie needs to work on, and then the the new thing happens? How do you merge those things, and how do you come up with that?
1: Well. In a way, Tim, I think the past is always with us. There's things you just don't have to work too hard at if you know a bit of history. And human nature doesn't change. Our fashions change, medicine changes, technology speeds things up, but the human animal is pretty darn consistent. So in some ways it makes that part of it easier. But in this case, everybody knows everybody, including the person who disappeared 25 years ago. So that made it easier. And it was just a freak accident, if you will, or a hungry animal, really, that opens the door to the past. I just had enormous fun. And of course, the drawings. Honest to God, I write these novels just so Michael Galately will illustrate them and I can see it. <laughs>
0: Exactly. you know, and, if, and obviously the book's fantastic, as usual, and uh, the drawings and everything keeps it very very unique. And then I always want to see the lovely picture of uh, Sneaky Pie on there as well. Oh, yeah, the great artiste.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. They, they don't even use my picture. Just go with the cat, which is fine. I sort of noticed that in the book. I'm like, Where, where's Rita May? Oh, boy. <laughs> Second fiddle again.
1: Yeah, she's the one, you know, sitting there taking the dictation, so to speak. But one of the things that fascinates me, and I know it does you too, and it's pro- and I'm sure the people that, that listen to the show often write you or get on your blog about it or whatever, their senses are so, they're just significantly greater than our own. And the things that animals know that for centuries people have just discarded as dumb animals is sometimes thrilling if you just humble yourself to watch, listen, and learn. You know, a cat and a fox can hear mice under snow. Mm -hmm. We can't even imagine that.
0: Exactly. And do you think that's more of their keen senses and their keen nature and their hunting instincts? Or do you think it's also the fact that most humans walk around oblivious to life around them?
1: Oh, Tim, uh, that's a good question. and Unfortunately, I think many people are only living a half-life. They don't open themselves up to experience because, of course, experience can be painful. But if you try to stiff arm pain, you don't really live. Animals have none of those protective devices. They're right there in the moment, and whatever's going on, they're participating in it. And they learn. That's one thing I will really give the higher vertebrates. They learn, and sometimes it seems to me all that we learn is more fear.
0: Yeah, and I think we oftentimes find ourselves feeding off that fear.
1: What does the media do? Sell fear, because people stay glued to their TV set or their iMac or you know whatever those things you look at in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I mean, at some point, I would hope people would just step back and say, you know what? A lot of this is just crap.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I used to say I never watched the news on TV, but now I watch the last minute and a half because that's their feel good story. You know, the rest is just gloom and doom. But you watch that last minute and a half, it's somebody doing something good. So at least we get a minute and a half's worth of uh, positivity out of it all.
1: Well, I don't know if your animals watch. The two, but what, I always turn it on for the weather because, as you know, I farm. So I'm obsessed with the weather. And they will sit there and watch this darn weather channel, like if there's hail coming down or whatever, and that. And I look and I think, well, you know, somebody should do a weather channel for animals.
0: Yeah, they should. They should. Well, you've seen? Uh, have you uh, ever watched uh, pet TV? No. A wonderful, wonderful program that you can get. It's a network, actually, and it's geared towards animals. My good friend Victoria Stillwell is part of it from uh, It's Me or the Dog and several others. She participates in it. But basically, it's scientifically designed to keep your pets entertained.
1: <laughs> oh, what a great idea. It's a great gr- really it-
0: it's a fabulous idea, and it goes along with the fact that they, you know there's certain times of the day when you want your dogs and cats stimulated, so they have you know hours worth of stimulation of graphics and designs and music, etc. And then if you want your animal to calm down, you watch one that has a more of a calming nature. And when when I first heard about it, I thought, well, this is neat. This is kind of fun. Uh, hooray, we're doing something good for the the animals. But I had no idea the impact. When we turn it on, our uh, schnauzers they're glued to it. They watch the symbols. They hear the noise, Noises. They, it's the the greatest thing. And now I know why people that have minivans and little DVD players in the back of them to keep their kids quiet. Now I understand that.
1: <laughs> Wherever my parents are, you know, in the afterworld, I'm sure they're cursing that they weren't born with those TVs or the cars. But this thing with animals really is interesting. I mean, any predator, but any animal really is so alive to their environment. So it makes sense if you would show them things that they would normally want to see, whether it's birds or you know whatever they'd sit and watch it
0: absolutely and uh, they'd watch the weather channel to see what's going on and uh and hopefully there's not too much hype on the weather channel either as sometimes we get so sucked into a hurricane that's uh you know two thousand miles away that <laughs>
1: True. You so know, speaking of the way we're talking about the pet life, if the animals keep watching, the next thing you know, they'll be learning foreign languages. And that's another thing. I don't know. if I read this kind of research stuff all the time. But there's now research, and I'm sorry I can't tell you the university that did it or the consortium of universities that prove animals recognize foreign languages. They don't necessarily understand it, but they know it's different than their own language.
0: Absolutely. I mean they're very t- That's kind of cool. It is very cool. It's very it, they're very in tune with everything. I always tell people that if you communicate with your animal animal verbally, not only do they understand the words that you're saying, but they understand those images and the projection of visualization that you put behind each of those words and they pick up on it. You know, they just pick up on, on it right away, where for us it's a much more difficult task.
1: We get in the way of ourselves. And part of that is, as you were saying earlier, is a kind of overstimulation. Everywhere you look now, somebody's trying to get your attention, usually to sell you something, unfortunately. But it's fascinating how any creature, and this, of course, happens in these mysteries, when the animals need to, they can block out what's around them and focus on the most important thing, which is, of course, how you learn.
0: Mm Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of the mysteries themselves, taking a look at this one, the Nine Lives to Die, how do you come about uh, creating these titles, and is there a forward thought to what the next two, three, four of them are going to be down the road?
1: Not by me. I can't take any credit for Sneaky Pie's titles. Phantom Books, Random House comes up with that. I come up with the titles for my other books, but they're so clever with this. And my, the problem is, I have to try to remember their titles, because I write them under a working title. I think this one I called A Winter's Tale, which was sort of cribbing on Shakespeare. But, mm-hmm. but they called it Nine Lives to Die. And of course, it's much more clever, because it involves a long-ago murder. And I thought, well, you know, they really do get it. And they, I mean, I think people get paid there just to come up with clever things. I swear. But, and, well, it, and they are clever.
0: Well, well, somebody's got to do it, Rita me.
1: Oh, I know. I can't. You're right. You're right. But
0: um, <laughs> I come up with clever titles all the time, but I'm not sure if anybody else is convinced that they're clever titles. So that's the only problem. <laughs>
1: You know, you never know. And then um, some of the greatest titles are just so simple, like War and Peace. But you know I me, mean, I read all the time, and I'm sure you do, too. And, um, and I, you know, there's now a book about a stubby, a book about a World War II animal that, you know, Sergeant Stubby. And I read everything, and I always learn about it, and I keep coming back to the fact that we're really nothing without these friends. Absolutely. And I keep trying to get at that in a different way. I mean, like if you just say it boldly, like I just did, it sort of sounds like preaching, and nobody really likes that. So I just try to show it in the books, and I'm sure you know it's the same for you. On the air, you can't just keep banging people over the head with what's right or what's real. You've got to try to lure them into it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good point. I tell you what, we're going to go to a commercial break here in a second, but I want to come back and talk about that as far as getting the point across about animals. How do you do that in the best fashion? So everybody hang tight we're going to take a quick commercial break you're listening to animal rights on pet life radio sit stay we'll be right back after a short pause well four to be exact i'm not much of a reader but i do wish i were more well read there are so many great books coming out i wish i could find a way to keep up Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com
1: hi this is Jody Miller young from bark and Swagger tune in for everything pet fashion and more from fashion tips and runway trends products and designs I love to fabulous home decor for your furry friend you'll find it all here be the first to discover the new so what are you waiting for find me on pet life radio and remember when fierce fashion calls bark and swagger
0: every week on demand only on petliferadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. We're talking to the wonderful Rita Mae Brown today in her latest book, Nine Lives to Die. Now, Rita Mae, before the commercial break, I talked a little bit about, uh, we were talking a little bit about the uh, getting the point across about animals. How do you make people aware of what's going on in the world? How do you turn it into a positive? How do you realize, make them realize how uh, they're a big part of our lives, if not the biggest part of our lives? So how do you go about getting that message across? Do you Beat the drum loudly, or do you, you know, little jabs to the side to get somebody to wake up about it?
1: Well, with the sneaky pie books, a lot of people would discount them because the animals talk. But that's how I try to get it across. And I try not to make them too cute, but I never know if I succeed or fail on that, really. But they do communicate, and their means of communication are far broader than our own. If you consider tails, you know, the hackles on your back, being able to expose your fangs in a much more significant way than people and all this kind of stuff. So, So that's one way to do it. In other books where the animals aren't necessarily talking, Usually there's an animal somewhere that's close to a human being, and often when the human is in terrible trouble, the animal comforts them, which I think is true in life. I think yes. there are so many people out there listening to you that could call in or write and say, you know, my dog saved my life or my cat got me through my divorce or whatever, and it's true. They do. Yeah, that's, so that, that's another way I do it, which is more subtle, and somebody who discounts animals can easily ignore it if they want to. Well,
0: that's good. Good way to go about doing it because I know that uh, you know working with animals every single day and, and dealing with animals of all sorts, you know, I tend to get a plethora of different emails and approaches and comments back on things that I write or things that I post. But they're typically in two camps. It's either yay for you, Tim, for you know sticking up for the animals and making people aware how wonderful they are, and others are like, uh, Tim, uh, no, you're not getting your point across because you're not showing grotesque pictures of how animals are harmed and endangered. You're making too light of it. Your stories are too light. And so for me, it's a fine balance of how do you get the point across that you know animals in my my life are a huge, huge part of my life, if not the uh, outside of my wife, the key part of my life, without having to hit somebody over the head with a frying pan to wake them up.
1: Tim, how wise of you to say, <laughs> apart from your wife, <laughs> you <laughs> exactly. have to go home tonight, don't you? That's you know, right. But, but I think it's true. and And if you have a spouse who loves animals, too, it's just that much more joy. But, yes. um, it is interesting. It's funny you bring up, because I was just thinking about this today. Uh, a couple of us were talking about it because we're, we're trying to uh, get a new fan down in the kennels. and well, We're talking about these, just what you had said about these horrible pictures and these things that just make you sick. I think they're effective, but only up to a point. There are other people who just can't look. Mm -hmm. and we lose them. You know, it's too extreme. Now, are these terrible things happening? Indeed they are. Do we sometimes need to see it? Yes, we do. Unfortunately, I see it in the flesh. I'm sure you do, too, because we both do rescue work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also do some of it with horses, which is a whole different deal. Right. But it seems to me, people being what they are, the human animal wants to know immediately the first benefit to itself, before benefit to the animal. So I always try to take the point of, you know, this will make your life fuller, deeper, and richer. And I hope then we can get to step two, which is will you help? But, you know, everybody has their own approach. And I shouldn't make people sound selfish, but gosh, an awful lot of them are.
0: Yeah, it's a fine line, you know, where the, the human ego always tends to creep in. And and I think especially when you're working with animals, you've got to keep that at bay. It's not about you. It's about the animals. you got to figure out the best way you can get yeah, your message Do you know
1: calls. any other animal that thinks they can control nature?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, we're totally off the wall. And, um, I mean, in one way, it's kind of charming. We have done things. We've we've created light that goes all through the night. You know, you don't need a torch or something like that. We've done some amazing things. But if Mother Nature wants to slam me to the ground, she's going to do it.
0: Yeah, and there's not a thing we can do about it, except for watch the Weather Channel, so we know ahead of time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the news today is there's a giant raindrop over Cleveland.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, put your galoshes on, please.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I do have fun with it. but and, and they show animal things, too, on there now, which is really kind of great. But anyway, back to this writing, because I know you're writing, too. It's an interesting task. You do it all alone. Well, I have, of course, my co-author. You never really know who's out there. You never know who's reading the book. I mean, sometimes I will know because people will write or they'll send pictures of their cats or dogs, which is just the most fun. But it's an odd profession, is it not?
0: Yeah, it's very odd, you know, and you never know what's going to strike a chord with your audience, uh, and before that, your your publishers and your editors, and, uh, you know, what's going to get them excited about what you're writing, and uh, it's beautiful chaos, I guess is what I call it. It's <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: a pretty good way, way to put it. I mean, at least when the cat is stalking a mouse, she knows what she's doing. When I sit down at the desk, I don't always know what I'm doing. I mean, she's ahead of me.
0: No, exactly. And I want to ask you about the writing process, especially after doing it all these years and still being, you know, a young woman yourself, you know, early teens yourself. Yeah, right. You've written everything out there. I mean, you're you write poetry, you're you've been a screenwriter, you've written a wonderful mystery series, so you do it all. When you sit down at the computer or your uh, pen and paper or your old-fashioned typewriter, or whatever your methods you choose, is it easy for you to get it started and get it flowing? Or is it a matter of it takes a while to get everything cranked up, and then once you do, it's really starting to flow easily?
1: It's easy. It's always been easy. And I think part of that is I just love language. But in truth, I mean, I know this. I should be modest, but this is not modest. This is real. I have incredible training. I have Latin and Greek And it is the basis of everything I do. I don't have to think. I don't have to worry. I've got this tremendous foundation under me. I mean, it's like a tennis player or a soccer player, if you want to look at sports, who have perfected their basic strokes for years and years and years. And that's what Latin and Greek did because that's the foundation of Western culture, number one. But number two, the english language you don't think greek is part of the english language but it actually is so i don't ever have a worry in the world i sometimes veer off you know i can veer off with plot or i can get sidetracked or something and i'll fall in love with a character and and sometimes they take me places where i have no idea where i'm going but i never worry and it is it's because of the training
0: very interesting and how do you think writers of today's ilk are trained in that fashion or are they
1: they're not. And unfortunately, we've gutted Western culture, you know, whether it's even something as simple as civics. A lot of that has been gutted in high school and, and in college also. And it isn't that there's not talent out there. Oh, my God, there's tremendous talent out there. But in essence, it's untrained and it's undisciplined. So now what you'll see, and we're all seeing it, is you'll see the one or two hits. You know, a writer will have one or two hits, and then they'll fritter away. Very few can last a long time, and it's because they just don't have the training you know they, it's the same thing with the singer of popular music how many of them i mean you can count them on the fingers of your hand frank sinatra i mean literally you can count them on the fingers of your both hands have been able to laugh from youth to old age the reason being they burn out their instrument they don't know how to control it
0: do you think any of that has to do with trying to keep up with what we uh, what we think the audience wants to hear
1: yeah it's a critical mistake for anybody in the arts because if you do that, you're always a victim of fashion, and of course there's fashions, you know? And you may be outdated and set aside for a while, but you've got to keep working, whether anybody comes to watch you as an actor, or anybody picks up your book, it doesn't matter, you've got to keep working, because sooner or later, they come back around. You see it over and over again in all the arts, I mean, not, not just writing. But I do feel so terrible for young people today because I think they're being cheated. Everything's been made easier for them, which is a dreadful thing to do to the young. You've got that one time when your mind is that open, all of you together, one generation. And basically what we're telling them is, you know what, you're not really smart enough to learn this stuff. That's a dreadful message.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I'm far removed from my uh, you know formal education days. That's for sure. I'm sure I've forgotten every uh, bit of Latin that I've ever come across. Uh, I vaguely remember my civics classes, but I think talking to uh, you know, I talk to uh, friends and family, nieces, nephews, these type of folks that are in high school nowadays, and uh, get a good friend visiting from uh, who's attending Yale, and I don't think that's part of their curriculum at all. Even a, you know, an outside standing university like Yale. I don't think that's anything that's even fathomed to be taught now. No, it
1: isn't. In fact, UVA almost cut their classics department when they had that dreadful brouhaha in 2012 where they threw the president out, and then, of course, she was quickly reinstated by the students and faculty. And one of the things was they felt some of the people felt classics were no longer relevant. But you say you forgot your Latin. No, you didn't. I'll tell you why. Uh-oh. Charity and love used to mean the same thing, had the same amount of power. Love is the Anglo-Saxon word, and charity is caritas, the Latin word. But over the centuries, it's gone apart. Charity now means what you know to mean the giving, and it's a giving from your heart, but it's giving to help, whereas love means something quite else. If you know that, you can feel the texture of the words in your fingertips. And you have it, you just don't know it, but trust me, what you learned in Latin class is still there,
0: wow, so that education is still in me, I guess <laughs> oh,
1: honey, it just, it just you yeah, know it just means you're you're roaring on top, but maybe you know maybe this is the thing too. I mean, everybody as they get older, you look back and say, "Well, this was better, and that was better." I think a lot of things were horrible mm. when I was young. And, and, I, and just so your people know, I was born November twenty eighth, 1944, so it's been a long time. But the one thing I do mourn is the loss of educational discipline. Because I'll tell you what, they haven't lost it in Germany, France, and Spain. And I think our enemies, and of course we do have them, I think those people are deeply concerned and teach their culture. It may not be what we perceive as the truth, but they know their culture and they're willing to fight
0: for it. Yeah, I think we tend to lose out on that. It's hard to get people to look back and realize that history and realize their culture and how to build upon that because we're so well, forward-thinking.
1: Like, it is, but maybe they're like Satchel page, you know, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <I> don't know. <laughs> you know, this is one of the big differences between humans and, and the other higher vertebrates. They have histories, but they don't necessarily know them. We do. Well, at least we do from the written word and also the oral tradition. The myths are are basically histories. But when you look at some animals, there's now a school of thought that maybe like elephants and dolphins can pass along their history. It's completely fascinating. I don't know if we'll ever know, but we do have the advantage of if we want to learn from prior successes and mistakes, we can do
0: it. We just have to be willing to slow down and take a look at them and be true to ourselves, I think is what the key is.
1: And that's that's another thing. When I write the Sneaky Pie Mysteries, I try to stay true to the boundaries of a corgi, which is very different than a collie. They Mm. look at the world a little differently, even though they're both herding dogs. They have different personalities, and the personalities of cats. And you think about that, and there's not a whole lot of variation inside the individual breeds. Of course, there's some. Obviously. But when you look at the human animal, the variation of personality is overwhelming.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Do you think that's part of their breeding or is it more of their uh, society?
1: For us, I think it's one of the ways we learn to survive because we're such a weak animal compared to the others. I mean, we're slow, you know, a house cat can outrun us, we don't have claws, and our teeth are pretty useless for tearing somebody's throat out, stuff like that. And we're a medium-sized predator, so we actually need these kind of things. I think the only way we learned to survive was to differentiate. We were so weak that we had to learn different skills, and, and some of it's inborn. Like, I mean, you know that people are born with a talent for music, and others are born, they can do anything with their hands. They can fashion mechanical things. For somebody else, it's wood. And for somebody else, it's healing. There truly are people that are born healers. And hopefully, they go into the medical arts. Animals don't need to do that. But they're stronger than we are. But once we learned that and we created communities, we survived. And now we've survived to the point where we're, we're actually getting kind of dangerous.
0: Yeah, you know, absolutely.
1: I mean, when you think about it all, it really is, it really is kind of fascinating how every species did what they had to do, and the ones that didn't are extinct.
0: Yep. And the rest of us are here to still tell the tale.
1: Well, I hope so. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do in my own way. And one of the funny things about at least the Sneaky Pie series, not necessarily my standalone books, is I always try to wiggle something in there that I hope will interest somebody, and maybe they'll go look at it a little more deeply. You know, don't hit them over the head with it, but just give them a little wiggle. Like there's a car dealer in here, a car dealership. Now, you don't see a lot of it, but, you know, you think about the cars sitting on that lot and the interest rate just spiraling for every car that sits on that lot. I mean, these dealers have got to sell these things. Mm -hmm. And the personality it takes for somebody to go into something. It's just a little sidelight. Somebody will think about it. Somebody will read it and won't.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I love how you intertwine that in there, you know, the little subtleties, uh, because it's, uh, I think, you know, it makes your stories unique. You know, mysteries are mysteries. Uh, they're fun, and they you like to see the end result. But I like how you blend in uh, a little bit of, you know, thought pattern in it, get you to think about certain things. And, uh, I think you, it's, can I tell how it's, it
1: starts, because it's really kind of good. Sure. Well, it's winter. A coyote runs across the backfield with a human arm it's bony i mean it's there's no flesh on it but there's a bracelet on it and the tutor mrs murphy the two cats and the dog tucker see this and the bracelet falls off the arm so the coyote keeps going and the coyote ultimately becomes very important to the story but they can pick up the bracelet because obviously cats and dogs can easily pick things up with their mouth and they take it into the tack room and they hide it. It's a treasure. They hide it. But ultimately, of course, it comes to light. And this bracelet creates problems down the road. But I just love the idea of this bony arm with a bracelet on the wrist. I don't know. Why. I just thought, oh, God, isn't this wonderful? Somebody else would probably think, oh, that's awful. You know? How do you think of this sick stuff?
0: <laughs> yeah, well that's the question. I mean, not the sick part of it, but how do you think about that? I mean, you're sitting here and you're you're coming up with a story and you've got a series of, of great mysteries here and you're you're adding to that. How do you decide what are you gonna start with? Does it wake you up in the middle of the night and say, hey, wouldn't this be great?
1: Yeah, sometimes I do wake up in the middle of the night and make notes. In some books, you start a little slow. You know, you try to get a rhythm going. And others, you just hit them right over the head with some terrible murder. But if I keep killing off people in Crozet, there's not going to be anyone left. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I don't know about this. But, but it's, it, it is fun. It, and, it, uh, and, of course, what I always do is I tell my friends, you know, if you have somebody you really, really hate, Tell me
0: about it and I'll kill them off. In a book. <laughs> stick stick in the fucking I'll kill them off. Yeah, uh, I love mind. it. I love it. I need to start writing some. No, I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always
1: wonderful to find out what your friends say. Boy, do you learn a lot.
0: Exactly. Well, when your friends pick up the book and they start reading things that they sort of recognize, then maybe uh, <laughs> they know what you really yeah. think about them.
1: Then I need to be on a fast horse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, well, Rita May, we're uh, winding down for today. Tell us a little bit about where uh, activity you've got going on where people can find out more about you and Sneaky Pie and pick up a copy of uh, Nine Lives to Die.
1: You know, I know there's a website, and unfortunately, I have no idea what it is that Random House has, but I'm sure if you tried to, you went to Random House and looked up Rita Mae Brown, there would be something. But what I'm doing at this moment is actually I am now writing the next Sneaky Pie, the one for 2015, and it actually starts in 1775 oh, wow. at the Battle of Saratoga, and I've never done that with a Sneaky Pie. I've never gone that far back. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, and I love history anyway, but I'm finding out a lot of things about a war I thought I understood and I'm realizing, gee, there's a lot they didn't teach us. Not that it's terrible or it's hidden or somebody's, you know, trying to cover something up, but it was really much more of a near-run thing than we were taught in high school and, well, grade school too. It's like it's always taught as though victory, oh, well, we were certainly going to win and this and that, but we pulled that one out by the grace of God and the French.
0: So the French actually helped us in this one, huh?
1: Well, their Navy did, and of course, the money. And we paid for much of the Revolutionary War, and this doesn't show up in the book because it's not germane to the story. Tobacco. Ah. We didn't have much else to offer, and Louis took tobacco. Isn't that amazing?
0: And I think tobacco has a little bit to do with your neck of the woods, wouldn't you say?
1: Well, It did. I mean, it did. It's an industry that's been destroyed, and all those counties that were formerly tobacco counties have been in permanent crisis for, what, over two decades now? It's, it's deeply upsetting. But also, it's deeply upsetting to me. Do I think it's smart to smoke? No. Of course I don't. But I don't think anyone puts a gun to your head and says, you will smoke this cigarette. And I think if people understand the harm, which is significant, they're going to make their own decision. And is not the basis of a democracy getting out of people's way. Some will make good decisions, some won't. You have to learn to live with
0: it. Very good. Well, we're excited about the latest book. Uh, everybody go out and pick up a copy of Rita May Brown's and Sneaky Pie Brown's uh, Nine Lives to Die. Rita Mae, just to let you know, you can go to com and find out more about your happenings and what's going on and keep track. And obviously, you can go to your uh, latest uh, bookstore, indie bookstore, or online and pick up a copy. It's a fabulous book. Keep it up. I, I love reading the books and see what you and Sneaky Pie have going on, and obviously, it's always a pleasure talking to you as well.
1: Oh thanks Tim and and I'm just I'm thrilled with the advances in your career too.
0: So we'll both just keep scribbling. We will just keep scribbling and hopefully somebody will read it, right? <laughs> <It's the truth. laughs> All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank uh, Rita Mae Brown, Sneaky Pie Brown, coming on board today. Uh, Nine Lives to Die. Everybody pick up a copy of the book. It's uh, full of fun and mystery and mischief, so it's it's good stuff as always. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening to the show today. Thank the uh, sponsors and producers for making this show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Animal Rights icon, and... And download the episodes and listen to your favorite authors and learn a little bit more about the writing process as well. And while you're there, make sure you check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio. There's a plethora of entertainment, so that's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions for me or comments or ideas for the show, please email me. Email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animal in your life share it in a blog an article or in a book and who knows maybe the next guest on animal rights on pet life radio have a great day let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com